Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Book and Film Globe Week in Review podcast. I am Neil Pollack, the Editor-in-Chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the world of books and films and streaming TV and so much more. So get ready for another fascinating episode of discussions with our contributors about their articles from this week and about other issues that may be eating at them or interesting them. from Madonna's Material Girl from my boyhood. I guess that the song's from more than from my boyhood. It was, it was released in the you know, mid-80s. Um, I chose that because soon, in a few minutes, we're going to be talking about um, uh, the, uh, a book called Sex and Vanity by the author of Crazy Rich Asians. This is one of the worst books uh, in human history. Uh, and it is a, an absolutely disgusting celebration of wealth and excess. And uh, I, I was deeply offended by this book, and we'll talk about it in just a little bit. We're going to start off this week with a chat about censorship, which has reared its ugly head yet again in the publishing industry. Uh, I do want to um, cover some breaking news that happened. Uh, we put this up on the site overnight. Well, this morning, really, but the, the news broke overnight. There is a, another censorship controversy in the literary world. Our ace uh, publishing reporter, Katie Smith, got a hold of this. Katie can't be with us today because she has a day job and is busy with that. But I just wanted to run this down a little bit because it's so incredibly crazy. Uh, two authors. Uh, one named Ellen Hildebrand, who is a very popular sort of summer beach reads author, and uh, Casey McQuiston, who is a popular a young adult author, have had to um, pull lines uh, out of a blunt dialogue from their books. Uh, they're either going to have to pull them out during the next printing or they're going to take them out of the online editions. Um, Hildebrand had apparently had a, an Anne Frank joke in her most recent novel, Golden Girls, and people were calling her out as being anti-Semitic. I don't know about you, but I've been making Anne Frank jokes my entire life, um, and I'm Jewish, as far as I as far as I know. Um, and uh, McQuiston had to pull out something because it was too pro-Israel, and people were telling her online that she needs to do better, and that uh, she needs to respect what's happening in Palestine right now. Now. You know, you can um, have whatever opinion you want about Jews or the Israeli-Palestinian conflict or, or whatever. The idea that you should uh, apply your personal politics to um, to published works of literature, works of literature that have already been published and have already sold thousands of copies, and and when you read them, you get offended, and then the idea that the, the idea that publishers can force that the readers can force publishers to change already published works 
things that they find offensive or that they misread. It's 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 insane to me that um, people are a feel so entitled as readers that they think they can just demand that works of literature represent their point of view or their sensibilities. Uh, and it's also outrageous that publishers and authors are just just rolling over and saying, "Yes, I'm sorry." I'm sorry I offended you. I was insensitive. I need to do better. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand the impulse, the sensorial impulse. And that's the thing is like, you know, it'd be one thing if this was like a politically, uh, there's a through line. But these are people who are they're on completely opposite sides of the coin. One says um, basically that uh, the Hillebrand was anti-Semitic. And the other one says that, uh, that Casey McQuiston was excessively Semitic. It doesn't, it's like it doesn't matter what the point of view is. There's always going to be someone who's offended. And the more that publishers give in to these demands, the more entitled readers are going to feel to want to cancel, not even cancel, just to alter, alter works of literature to, to suit their very narrow sensibilities and points of view. I don't even know if these books are any good. I haven't read them. Um, you know, but Ellen Hildebrand has written uh, 23 novels. You'd think you should give her a little bit of a runway to write whatever she wants. How about whoever she wants, however she wants. Um, and certainly, you know, if a publisher wants to catch an Anne Frank joke in the editing process and take it out or discuss it with the author, that's, that's part of the editorial process. But the editorial process is over once the reader gets into it. The reader then can say, well, that's offensive. It can tweet about how it's offensive, can blog about how it's offensive, can do an Instagram story about how it's offensive, and you know influence people that way, but they cannot demand uh, that the work be changed or censored or pulled. And uh, that impulse in, in our culture is just uh, is, is really disturbing to me and really wrong. And we will continue to cover it here on Vulcan Film Globe uh, until um, we ourselves are forced to change our opinion by uh, angry readers. So on that note, uh, let's, let's transition into talking about a, an actual book. Uh, I, uh, I, I brought Paula Schaefer, one of our frequent contributors, uh, up into the room. We are recording this on the Clubhouse app, but this wonderful podcast will appear on Spotify and uh, iTunes and wherever else people listen to podcasts. Uh, right now, we're, we're all sitting here in Clubhouse. Our avatars are gathered around the virtual fire. Paula Schaefer, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me. Hello. Yeah, of course, of course. So I, I, I posted something on my Facebook page about this novel, Sex and Vanity, by Kevin Kwan, who wrote uh, the Crazy Rich Asians uh, trilogy. And uh, you, you, uh, you popped in there and, 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 and agreed with my opinion. So I was like, well, let's, let's bring Paula in to talk about it now. So, so um, Sex and Vanity is essentially a... This book came out last year. They just released the paperback this week. Uh, this is a book uh, 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 covering the same basic realm that Crazy Rich Asians does. You know, wealthy people, many of them of Asian descent, jetting around the world. But you know, Kevin Kwan has this love for uh, 19th century literature, and this is a sort of a, a modernized version of A Room with a View. Yes. It, it very, it, an even more boring telling of that story, if that's possible. Well, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan. I mean, I'm a big fan. I'm not a big fan of a room with a view, but you know, it's a, a room with a view is a, is a classic uh, work of 
sort of late Victorian, we're forced to rewrite the early 1900s. You know, so I would say late Victorian English literature, uh, you know, that classically constructed, um, a, a modest satire of uh, class mores, a little bit of a love story. Uh, and it was made into a, a, an award-winning Merchant Ivory film in the 80s. This... And, and it's a pretty modest work, you know. It makes fun of the rich a little bit. This is just a, the sex and vanity is the, the just a disgusting celebration of excess, it, it, to my mind. Yes, and also, um, like in two, I think it was in two thousand four, Tom Wolfe had his "I Am Charlotte Simmons," where he tried to write from the point of view of, a, of an American college girl, and that did not work. Um, Kevin Kwan trying to write from the point of view of an American college girl who's nineteen also does not work. Right, but 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 Kevin but Kevin Kwan, you know you know the uh, Crazy Rich Asians books, uh, they have a variety of points of view, but the main character is uh, an Asian woman, you know, and young, not nineteen, and also Lucy, the protagonist of Sex and Vanity, in the second half of the book is in her twenties. Yeah, college, she's yeah. a college, college girl in the first half, so. I agree that it doesn't work and that the character is, is ridiculous. You know, she's somehow some kind of genius artist. But also very emotionally flat and unaware of everything in the world growing up in New York City in the early 2000s. Right. <laughs> extremely wealthy. And that's yeah. the thing. Everybody in this book is extremely... I mean, well, I, I, the le- I mean, maybe people that rich do exist, you know, but the level of wealth and the level of, like, on ironicness about the wealth it's just it's, it's astonishing it's like it, it, it's like he he he's what is he trying to do is he trying to get invited to parties once car parties come back i can't imagine this guy doesn't get invited to whatever party he wants to go to yes yeah and it was like crazy rich i loved crazy rich asians it was sure. just soapy and frothy and like just something I never, you know, sat around and thought about. Huh, I wonder what this is like. And it gives you a lovely little outsider intro and push into the world. Yes, that, agreed. That welcomes you in with a like, look, we're to all total outsiders here. Look at this. And in Sex and Vanity, he forgot that. And it's just, yeah. we're all insiders here. Yeah, yeah. And we're there's not. No, there, there, there's no, di- you're right, we're all insiders. There's no distance. You're supposed to feel affectionate toward you know these these people who like jet around the world and who who are beautiful and do yoga and surf and have unlimited income and belong to country clubs in the Hamptons and can buy up an entire West Village block and build a replica of a Venetian canal in them, and it's not presented that with a, with much of a satirical eye. <laughs> there is no satirical eye. It's done. It's. It's just like, look at this and look at this. It's like a catalog. I've read catalogs that are more interesting. It was yeah. very, to me, it was very dry. And yeah. somehow it, I, it just, the whole thing from conception on through just was ridiculous scenario after ridiculous scenario. Yeah. It's yeah. a total, it's a total disaster and yet hugely popular. Yes, that, that happens sometimes. I hear. Sure. But, yeah. <laughs> but I just, I was just, I you know, and I even like, I mean, I am not a prude uh, uh, at all. But I was like, the, the main set piece was so offensive, you know. Like that, there's that wonderful scene in in in, in a room with a view where where the you know the, there's a sort of a stolen kiss and then all these unlocked passions come out. In this book, it's it's like a it's a it's a cunnilingus scene. Yeah, it's like 
Yeah, it's like he's like, how can I modernize this? Oh, I know. What if somebody gives somebody head? Oh, well, what, what, if, what, what, what if what if a man eats out a woman? Now that yeah, what if I really wow. change it and make it revolutionary? Yeah, and, let and me tell you, <laughs> pushing boundaries. I we just <laughs> this is a really a clubhouse thing, but some guy popped into the room and like I started talking about cunnilingus. Immediately popped out. Uh, <laughs> it, it happened, but yeah, but I was just like, but I, you know, and I was like, you know, and again, like I'm not easily offended, but I, was, I thought, and then it was all filmed by drones, and like cousin Charlotte was shocked, shocked. Cousin Charlotte played in a room of the view by Maggie Smith. Yes. You know? Yes. This was not Maggie Smith. <laughs> this was no one. So anyway, so I just. You know, I, I read the book. I, I took it. I took it on vacation with me. I was on vacation last week. Uh, Sharon Vane was hosting this, and I was like, "This will be my this will be my fro- frothy vacation read." And I was like, "I was like, I couldn't wait to get rid of the book and just go back on back to my vacation." I didn't yeah, want that's, it. It wasn't that's, an escape. It, it is not an it's an it's not an escape. It's it's a. I when you wanted me to talk about it, I actually had to go read again to remember like points of the plot because I blocked much of it out because I was so bummed out by this book. Yeah. After you know his last trilogy that was so fun and just pure escapist, just like this is unlike what I usually read. Even though it's like you know the predictable format and everything, it still was fun and felt fresh. This sure. felt stale and flat. Very weird book. Very weird book. Very disappointing. Uh, I'll, 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 and the reason I'm, I'm, I wrote about it and I'm talking about it at all is because I was so kind of upset and disappointed by it. And I pray to God that it does not get made into a movie, but it probably will. It will, it will be turned into a terrible movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then I mean, we can complain about that, I guess. Yeah, I can't. I, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll still be around to, to complain about that. All right. Absolutely. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paula. Yeah. Hang Thanks out if you me. want. If you want, there's something else I think you might be interested in, in that we're talking about in a little bit. Stephen Garrett is here. Hello. Steve. Hi. Sorry. No, it's okay. No, this is this is what happens on the clubhouse. Your phone rings, and <laughs> and, it ba- and it bounces you. It bounces exactly you. Exactly what happens. It's a very it, it's a very modern first world problem. But yeah, but here yeah. here we are. Um, this is our we we have now transitioned out of our literature section into our film section. Film section is brief this week, but but you know important. Stephen's got a, a review up uh, now on the on the site. Uh, on Book and Film Below Above, In the Heights, the new uh, musical directed by John M. John M. Chu. Is it? It's M. Chu, right? John M. Chu. John, and, John M. Chu. Yeah. It, it, adapted from the very, you know the popular Lin Manuel Tony Award winning Lin Manuel Miranda musical. Now, before we talk about the film, which I haven't seen yet, uh, I do have I have a little In the Heights uh, little In the Heights story. Uh, if you if you, if you'll indulge me, absolutely. Well, okay. Very, so, so I've never seen In the Heights. I, I have listened to the music, but uh, what I have done is, you know, that 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 movie was supposed to come out a while ago. I think it was like, you know, more than a year ago, and uh, so that preview has been playing in theaters <laughs> forever. Forever. Yeah, forever. And, and, forever. And, and, and the old preview, and, and, and unlike everyone else in the world, I never stopped going to the movies. So I was sitting there in, you know, in May of last year in these 
theaters by myself watching the Indy Heights preview over and over and over again. And, you know, that, that, that little bit in the beginning where they sing Good Morning, Usnavi, the main character's name is Usnavi. Right. Um, and uh, I, I just, it stuck in my head. And so I, f- I found myself humming, good, you know, Good Morning, Usnavi. Good morning, Usnavi. Over yeah. and over again. Good morning, Usnavi. Pan caliente café con leche. Put $20 on today's lottery. One ticket, that's it. Hey, man's got a dream. And so it, I spent a lot of the, my, the last year playing in these like online trivia leagues be, because I'm a baller. And, uh, you know, a real baller. And uh, I was playing in a a league of, I was like, pop culture. And it was like me against three other people. And I got a question about the name of the protagonist in in, in the Heights. And it was, you know, the the protagonist was named because his parents came over from Puerto Rico and saw these words on a ship. And I was like, I don't know. All right, but I was like, I didn't know. I'd never seen In the Heights. Uh, I was like, so I didn't know the answer really. But I was like, I was, I was like, I was like, na da 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 da, and I, I kept singing it over and over myself. And I was like, Could, is 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 the answer Usnavi? Couldn't be Usnavi, but it was. It was. It was. Uh... <laughs> oh, so you were hearing that, and not you knew it was in the name of somebody, right? Or did you just think it was a Spanish expression for like Hello? a great morning? I don't. I don't know. I, I mean, I know that. Usnavi I mean, it's a nonsense word. I speak Spanish. Yeah. I know that Spanish Usnavi is not Spanish for "Have a great morning." But uh, but I was like, I was like, that's not really a normal name, even in even in uh, in oh, Spanish. Right. So no nonsense um, word. It's but I got word. it was a nonsense word. But I but I, I got the question right. Nice. Yes. So that's why you're a champ, man. Because you go with your instinct. You go. That's with why I'm. That's why. That's why I am a superstar of the NBA. <laughs> Um, and, and but that but that was like but that was the only reason I got that right is because I'd seen the Indy Heights um, preview so many yeah. times, so like hundreds, I've more times than I'd seen a preview of any. Well, I've seen a lot of pre- previews for Black Widow at this point. Right. Like I'm like I'm like I can pretty much I don't even need to want to go see Black Widow because I've seen every scene in one of the six previews. Um, awesome, a hundred times. Anyway. So, uh, but now the movie is here. It no longer needs to be previewed. It is being reviewed, and uh, you, you, you really liked it. I really liked it. It's hard not to like. It's really infectious. Uh, it's look. You really shouldn't necessarily contextualize a movie in a time and place. But I think you know, post-pandemic, as I say in the review, like mm-hmm. uh, I, I think this is such a the timing could not be better for a movie like this to play in theaters to coax people out. Yeah. and into a crowd and to make them feel really good about themselves and about, yeah. you know, uh, their community. It's a movie about community and it's a movie that has so much heart and it's just, I mean, you'd have to be such a grouch not to at least crack a smile watching this movie. It is just right. such a happy, happy, happy time. Happy time. Not, it's not, it's a, it's not a comedy, but it's like a, there's some funny stuff in it, but it's not meant to be a comedy. I mean, no. you know, I, I think I've got I, I um, for me personally, and again, like I could not be a, a, a like a whiter person. I, I can't. I'm like refraining from making any sort of colloquial Spanish jokes. It's not my place, and it's this is not a movie that was meant for me. Although it was, I think, a movie well. that, in a weird <laughs> way, is uh, like I showed my kid. Um, West Side Story, she resisted forever, but she said she loved musicals. My wife and I were like, you got to watch West Side Story. It's really seminal. 
we watch it and she's like, this is ridiculous. And as I watched it, I was like, yes, this is a ridiculous movie with Natalie Wood as a, la- a la- Latina. Like, yeah. I mean, and, and it's, and, and it's r- like, yeah, it, it's right. like written music's by a Jewish man. And like the music, like the, the, the book is, you know, it's, it's just, it's such a white production and the source material is based on Shakespeare. Like there's nothing that's organically, Latin about it and I think of course and I'm not I'm stating the obvious everybody's been talking about this and in the heights really feels organic it really feels like it was written by somebody who understands that culture and comes from that culture and loves that culture and it's not just sending it up or paying homage to it or whatever it's it's more like it's explaining a heritage in a way that makes you want to love it just as much as he does you know right and I think John M. Chu um, clearly not Latin. He's Chinese. Uh, and I think um, I, he said in interviews that he's brought some of that sense of the immigrant experience or the outsider or the minority to um, his storytelling and Crazy Rich Asians. You guys were talking about it earlier, but, you know, he made a fantastic, in my opinion, just a, a delightful, frothy uh, movie uh, with that material, and he does the same here. I think my, my problem with the, the source material for In the Heights is that it is a bit melodramatic. I mean, every drama has, you know, kind of wild plot twists and things like that if they're good dramas, but that's more for the setup to get you into the story, and then the, it's all about the follow-through to really make it deeper, more meaningful, or trite and ridiculous, and this kind of straddles that line by yeah. the end. There's some things that just feel very contrived. There's this blackout that I think they even know is maybe a little contrived, so they try to mask that by, like, foreshadowing it so you already know it's coming, so it doesn't seem absurd when it does. <laughs> I don't know. So, right. so the thing is, right. it's so redeemed but, but, by the music, it's so redeemed by the direction and the production and the cast and the ebullience that is just Pouring out of every, you know, pour. right, right, and, <laughs> right. It's sweating joy. It's sweating yeah. joy. It's it sounds. It, movie. it seems like a very sweaty movie. But but yeah. but uh, yeah. But I was gonna say like this is you know this is not a movie you go to for like its dramatic subtleties, right? This is a no. this is a, no. a big big bold emotional you know kind of a it's the kind of movie that that, that theater kids are gonna gonna go crazy for right kind of like um that the the barnum musical the greatest showman you know which exactly. is not a good movie but my god those songs you know you can just listen to them over and over again you know well look i mean i think all all musicals by definition are heightened drama right like a character is so emotionally overwhelmed that he or she breaks into song right like right. it's just in the premise it's like opera so I, I have no problem with big bold emotions i'm not looking for subtle storytelling but i am looking for a bit more, I don't know. I mean, I think we all do when we see a drama. We don't want to see the most obvious thing about the story. Right. We don't want to second guess it. We want to be surprised. We want to be touched. I think this does this, but it does it through the music and the lyrics. It doesn't do it through the actual story itself, if that makes any sense. You know? It does. And it I does think that, that, yeah. that is a reasonable criticism, but... but I think, you know, every every time every week a new movie comes out and it seems to be making good money and it's like, oh, the movies are back, but I feel like this is really the one where you're like, okay, the movies are back. Yeah, this is like a legit wonderful great. I mean, I'm dinging it for things, but I still gave it like yeah. what, 4 out of 5. Four stars. Four, you gave it 4 it's stars, yeah. It's a really good movie and it's going to go the distance and it's quality. Yeah. It's one for the for ages. Sure. They did a wonderful job. You know, I think that the uh, Lin Manuel Miranda and all the other people involved with this film 
waited for the right time. You know, this what it won the Tony in two thousand and eight or something like that. More than ten years, almost fifteen years ago. You know, they yeah, this, waited for the this, right time. This is a good. Delayed. This is a good climate to release. Uh, a, a movie directed by an Asian person starring an all Latino and black cast. This is a good time, but I think the world has made it, or this country has made it, or culture or society has made it, has kind of caught up to this movie in a wonderful way. These yeah. guys have been standing their ground for over 10 years saying, we don't want to cast Jennifer Lopez just because it's Jennifer Lopez. We don't, we don't care about casting stars. We want to make new stars, is what yeah. they're talking about. And yeah, they're, they're, uh, other, cast, other, you know, because other, other than Jimmy Smith, there are no like famous, famous people. And well, they're all going to be famous, famous now. Yeah. They're all going to be. Fa- Anthony Ramos is going to be very famous. Well, and how now. wonderful is that? Like these guys yeah. stuck to their guns and they said, "We want to make a quality movie. We don't want to do a cash grab." Originally, it was set up with uh, Harvey Weinstein, you know, and. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure it would have been fine, but it would have been. I'm not a big fan of Chicago. I think that's a star-studded kind of mess. Um, this feels really protected and nurtured, and it shows. All right, in the Heights, gonna be a hit. Me and my cousin running, just another dime a dozen. Mom and pop stop and shop. You know my God has gotten dude on hot. Porter said, people come through for a few cold waters and a lottery ticket, just a part of the routine. Everybody's got a job, everybody's got a dream. They gossip as I sip my coffee and smirk the first stop as people hop to work. Bust it. What kind of two quarters, two quarter waters The New York Times, you need a bag for that The taxes at it, once you get some practice at it You do rap mathematics automatically I'm gonna see this on Monday Like around two in the afternoon I figure that's the best time to like Hedge my bets and Because even though I believe people should have been going to the movies all along I still don't like to be in crowded theaters just because. <laughs> Mixed message Come on. Well no, it's just it's not, But it's not about fear of COVID It's just about you know, people being annoying. Um, so in, in the, I still like to sit in, movie, in large rooms by myself. Uh, but that's, but that is a, that's a personal choice anyway. But I'm, but I'm, I'm, you know, even my wife was like, Oh yeah, I'll go see that with you. And she's yeah, there you go. She's see it with more than one person. See it. We, this is a movie that makes people burst into a spontaneous applause. You know, I don't, I don't know more. I don't know more than one person, so I can't, but, uh, but <laughs> But I'm married, and my wife will go to the movies with me. So. <laughs> Definitely. I, See it in yeah. a theater and then watch it again on HBO Max, but don't do the reverse or ignore yeah. the theater. Like, right. See it with people. Right, anyway. and it's also it'll help you. And I'm, I'm, I want to see the whole thing because I want to be able to never miss an in the heights trivia question again. Oh, and there will be many because this is going to stick around. Yeah, for sure. All right, yeah. thanks, Stephen. We'll, we'll sure. talk to you. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. This is the Book and Film Globe Week in Review. I am Neil Pollack, the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, a, uh, a, a outlet of the Sea of Reeds Media, uh, a fine media corporation located here in the United States of America. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV. We're recording this live on the Clubhouse app, and it will be later released on all major podcast platforms. What a show this is. The best pop culture podcast uh, based off of the best pop culture website in the world. So we're going to switch to TV now. It's time for the dessert. It's going to be like a 
Second half's going to be all dessert. We've got a lot of TV to talk about this week. I'm going to bring in uh, Jamie Mason for the first time. Jamie Mason appearing on the Book and Film Globe podcast, coming to you from Vancouver Island in Canada. Hello, Jamie. Hi, Neil. How you doing? Uh, good, good. Uh, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I am. How are you doing? I'm, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you, yeah, bet. You bet. Uh, so you wrote about, um, speaking of, of feeling good, you wrote about a, a TV show uh, on Netflix called Feel Good, which is, uh, I, watched, I watched a couple episodes of it last night, and it is uh, absolutely delightful, um, as you put it, a girl meets girl comedy uh, set in England, but produced by Mae Martin, who is a, uh, a Canadian uh, comic. And it's yeah. It's just a delightful uh, relationship comedy, and you, you really loved it. Yeah, I, I did, and I, I think it's worth pointing out at this at this moment that uh, it's not the usual fare that that I pick up and watch on Netflix. Sure. I, I'm, I'm this 55 year old dinosaur who who still enjoys Charles Bronson movies. Right. Um, so the kind lesbian. Kind of, an, kind, kind of an edge lord. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah. yeah. I mean, the lesbian rom-com is, is not exactly my, my watchtower, sure. but you know, I had a half hour to kill, and these are half-hour episodes, so I thought, well, what the heck, I, I'll, I'll check it out. And I just found myself drawn into um, a, a, a very beautifully crafted uh, situation comedy. I guess you could call it a dramedy Um I can never, I can never hear that word without thinking of dromedaries. But um, yeah, there's no camels in this show. I haven't seen one yet. Maybe, maybe they appear in the second season or something. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, and, and as as you say, you know, it's 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 a charming, uh, it's it's a charming piece, and I I, I think it's uh, it's both very uh, very English uh, and and very modern. Yeah. And also very Canadian. Uh, you know, so the premise is is that uh, May May Martin plays some some version of herself. She is a uh, I would say gender fluid uh, person, uh, stand up comedian, a Canadian living in London, uh, sort of try to like grind out a low level stand up comedy career, and she hooks up with this. Uh, uh, sort of posh British young woman who was previously straight named Georgia and they have a relationship and, and in addition to that May is also a, a, a drug addict in recovery and so there's a lot of recovery humor in this as well which I, as someone who is himself constantly in recovery from drug addiction it's, uh, it, I, I found it realistic and relatable yeah, and um, just just one point. Uh, I I actually thought uh, it was it was set in London. It's actually set in Manchester. Oh, um, okay. yeah. Uh, that explains why there's less traffic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and less pollution. Um, but uh, yeah, basically, you've got uh, one of the things that I, I really appreciated about this, and 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 you mentioned the the recovery issues. Um, you know, anybody who's, who's done any recovery work knows that a lot of it is, is about relationships and about healing relationships. Uh, and this show it does a very, very good job of generating what I call the Our Town effect. Um, it's one thing to create an interesting character and put them in situations that we all know and recognize. Uh, but it's, it's another thing to create a group of sympathetic characters 
that work together to produce an environment uh, that you just kind of want to go and camp out in. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's what Mae Martin and her, uh, her co-writer, Joe Hampson, do with this very effectively. And as you mentioned, you know, it plays very well into the issues of, of recovery. Uh, and also, I, I did mention this in the article, what, it, the question of what is mentionable and, and unmentionable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, anybody who's wrestled with, with addiction uh, knows about keeping secrets and, and yeah. knows about shame and all of those things. Yeah. But those are also issues that, that surround sexuality, relationships, and, and all the rest of that stuff. Yeah, there's always, there, there's always a sort of an, uh, an, uh, a tra an unaddressed trauma that the addiction is trying to, uh, whatever you're, you're uh, addicting uh, yourself to, be it drugs or alcohol or sex or food or whatever, it's, it's, or, or, or gambling, there's always some un unrealized psychological problem. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And um, I, I think that, that any, anybody who, who watches Feel Good will kind of recognize that. Yeah. Uh, in their own lives. I mean, obviously, trauma writ large is what is what's at the heart of addiction. Uh, and I, th I think to a lesser extent, you know, we all we all have to grapple with trauma in our lives. The, the, the one of the unmentionable uh, or unmentioned themes, and this comes out in season two. Yeah, don't, don't, do don't, don't spoil too much here for me. Because I'm oh, actually yeah, no, no. this thing, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler free, but just sort of in, in very broad strokes. Um, the question of, of unresolved sexual trauma mm. comes up in, in season two, and that's something that you know a, a lot of us can identify with as well. All right, and one, one, one more thing I wanted to mention before we let you go, even though this has been an excellent segment. Uh, there is also uh, Lisa Kudrow uh, is a cast member of the show. She plays Mae Martin's mother. Uh, and doesn't have a lot of scenes in each episode, at least not in the first season. They mostly talk via Skype or whatever, but she is she's quite easily the best friend of all the friends, uh, and she's quite hilarious in this as well. Yep, she, she certainly is, and uh, just really quickly before you, we, we cut out, I just want to mention a couple of, of other extras. Um, sure. Anthony Head, uh, he's, he's a British actor. Yeah, he does a great Great job uh, playing George's father in season two. Uh, a real type, you know, he's uh, kind of yeah. this libertine boomer. He's wearing leather jackets and mirrored shades and driving sports cars in his 60s. Well, um, Anthony Head was, uh, was the, um, the, the professor in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and he was also a, uh, a supporting character in Ted Lasso. He's, a, he's sort of a, ca a character actor who plays that, that, that posh British type really well. He does. He does. Um, also, uh, Toby, I, th I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right, Toby Bamtifa. Okay. Uh, he, he plays Nick, who's the MC at the comedy club. Very believable yeah. as a mother hen to a bunch of dis dysfunctional comics. Yeah, he's fine. Uh, yeah. And, I, and like, uh, I, like the, uh, I like the roommate, too. Uh, Georgia has this American shaggy, hippie, bearded weirdo, Zach Galifianak. Galifianakis type uh, named <laughs> Phil, who, I, who is a very funny character to me. Yeah, he's 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 great too. And yeah. uh, the last the last one I would mention is uh, a young woman named Ritu Arya, who's uh, she plays a, a girl named named Lava, uh, who uh, sort of oh, yeah. gets gets involved in 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 May's life later on. Yeah, Lava. Well, I just met Lava in episode two. She's the daughter of May's quote unquote sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's just a funny name for a character. A lot, you know, it sounds like it could be a name, but it's obviously it's you know not it shouldn't be a name. Someone's name. Anyway, there's like there's all kinds of little funny bits like that in, in Feel Good. There's like like you said, there's lots of physical comedy. There's lots of just sort of ironic, weird little moments, but it's never surrealistic, and it's always very grounded in this emotional uh, truth that I, I really I really found quite uh, quite compelling. Yep, me too. All right. Yes. All right, Jamie. Cool. Well, thanks for bringing it to our attention on Book and Film Globe and to my attention. It's a it's a it's a good recommendation from a, a great writer. Jamie tends to write about um, you know more political issues for us, but uh, you know, but but this was a, a nice or spy novels. <laughs> this is a nice depart, nice departure for him. So thanks a lot, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Neil. Take care. All right. Now it is time to uh, to bring Rob Kuttner up to the uh, the, the stage. Rob is uh, has been contributing to Book and Film Globe since I took over the site in September of 2018. He is a uh, former writer for uh, Conan O'Brien, and he is a uh, comedy uh, writer and a regular attendee of Comic Con. He's written a bunch of uh, great pieces for us about going to Comic Con. Hey. Hey, there he is. Hey. Good morning. Hello. Yes, hello. Good. How's it going? It is going extremely well. We're having a fabulous uh, salon here talking about all, all the all the culture that is culturing right now. Um, I wanted to talk to you about this new special on Netflix uh, from Bo Burnham, uh, Inside. Now, this is a really hot number. <laughs> I mean... I, I saw like my, all of a sudden it appeared and like everybody on my feed was was saying that this was the greatest thing ever made. Yeah, yeah, same. It just appeared. I was, like, I was like, okay, great. Well, we're obviously gonna have to deal with this shit. So <laughs> that's the only way I, I can get to watch anything is like there has to be enough people saying this is the most amazing thing ever. Critical mass, right. and then I, then I find the time to watch it. Right, and then your instinct is always like, I'm going to find a way to figure out why it's not the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll show them my, with my hot take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I have a so I wrote about it. You didn't write about it. I brought you in here because I knew you'd seen it. Uh, I wrote so I reviewed this this inside. You know, Bo Burnham is a. Uh, a disgustingly young and beautiful man, <laughs> thirty years old. He's a comedian and a, and, and a songwriter and a singer. He's so talented. You know, he um, he burst onto the scene. You know, when I was already older than he is now, like far <laughs> older than he is now. Uh, you know, doing these Netflix specials, singing these these satirical songs, showing like an incredible amount of in- wit and intelligence. And self-awareness, a real prodigy. And inside is kind of like the, the sort of apotheosis of that. It's like he shot this whole thing in, you know, a room in his, what I'm assuming is a compound that he lives in, in, in Los Angeles, because there's no way this guy is broke. Um, and uh, it's just like visually very inventive, and it's full of incredibly incisive satirical songs about online culture and uh, and and sort of the narcissism of that and about, you know, global warming. I mean, he really, he, he goes pretty, he's, he's like not a, not a shallow thinker, uh, Bill Burnham, but it's also, the show is also like, like 
really like self-absorbed and annoying. Like you know, it's very millennial. The whole thing is so millennial. Would you would you agree with that take? That yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's so complicated because it really is a feast in some ways, you know. And you know, sometimes a feast can be like fantastic and have all kinds of great things, and it also leaves sort of a bad taste in your mouth at the same time. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, like he's he's not just yeah, he's, he's visually inventive, like the the disco ball thing, like and the projection, like he does amazing things. And he's, you know, he's of course an accomplished indie film director as well with, you know, it's great, which is also one more strike against him. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many good things that I remember in isolation. And then I also remember like, uh, like the sort of overall feel of it. I, I almost feel like he sort of like takes out the sort of ins moral insurance policy at the very beginning by, by sort of owning that he's a white guy and then also kind of, you know, screechy against like capitalism and oppression. Oh, yeah, so that, kind of, yeah, that scene with the sock puppet is like a nightmarish Bernie bro TikTok video. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, guy with Netflix special, tell me about capital. Tell me how evil capitalism. But he kind of, you notice, he gets it out of there really early, as if, as, as if to almost sort of inoculate himself against, you know, the sort of like. Uh, I think, yeah, I think, and and you know, and and it, it is good that he's aware of it and he's saying all the right things. And then it's also like, um, and then there's also this piece of it, like you know, people have said, I think, in a serious note, that you know, he's struggled with mental illness or at least mental, you know panic attacks and anxiety issues and it's important to like I think own that and destigmatize that of course as well but also you know at the same time you know sometimes it does sort of you know so, so for full disclosure I watched it in sort of three installments mm -hmm. I took it, and maybe that's sort of maybe that's just my experience but like it's it's very intense comedically and sometimes emotionally as well and then also sometimes like it's sort of like I felt like I had enough of it. I was like, okay, I'll come back and check out more of that later. Yeah, I watched it in one viewing just because my wife was off doing errands and I knew that like she was not gonna put up with it. <laughs> so yeah. I was just like, I, I got to get this shit out of the way. Um, and and it is true, like it's an it's an you know an intense. I mean, it's very intense and raw and emotional and manipulative in some ways. You know, you really feel like he's like he's he's messing with you. <laughs> It's interesting because it's like I think he puts his finger on a lot of the, the feels of this time right now, especially maybe for people sort of around his age who aren't multi-talented wonderkins. But yeah. he really does kind of accurately uh, capture, I think, this time for a lot of people and what the stress they've gone through. At the same time, is is he the vehicle? Is he the best vehicle to be like feeling the bunch of? Is he the Christ-like figure who's really suffering the most agony out of all that? Well, that's sort of well, that's the, the thing, right. Well, that's the thing, right? It's like in, you know. I think anyone who knows me or who's friends with me either in real life or on Facebook has, you know, endured my rants about lockdowns and, 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 and COVID restrictions and all that. And I just feel like this, that, that he doesn't really talk about that a lot in the special to his credit, but the whole thing takes place inside a room. And it, you know, he's like, he's always like peering through the shutters, you know, at the sunlight trying to escape this, you know, it's obviously like, this is what I did in quarantine. And it just feels a little disingenuous to me because, because, you know, Bo Burnham could have gotten on an airplane and gone wherever the hell he wanted. <laughs> I mean, it's, a, time. it's this age-old debate, like, you know, you know, probably since, you know, the early 20th century, I think of, like, you know, can you separate the artist from the art sort of thing? Yeah. Like, as a piece of art, if you know nothing about Bo Burnham, um, I can kind of get on board with it. But now we're in an era where we know everything about every creator and we keep learning more about them. And so, like, you can look at it from, like, 
you know, it sort of holds together, I think, as a piece of art if you don't know anything about his, the circumstances of it in him. And then if you don't, you, you, you can't help thinking about that. Or maybe, maybe, maybe just maybe just because I'm, you know, I'm a jealous Hollywood type who's around your age as well. <laughs> maybe that's sort of more where I come to it from. But I think, you know, knowing that sort of like changes the picture of it. There's an element of that. There's an element of like, well, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, where, where, where's my, uh, where's my money? But, but at the same, at the same time, you know, there was, I, I, you know, I have a certain point of view about this period of time, and I feel like, I mean. I just feel like he either he yeah, so there, there was just a which is strange, strange to say with a guy like this who operates on so many different levels but I just felt like there was a level of self-awareness missing there that said there are at least three songs in this that I cannot get out of my head <laughs> white woman Instagram white woman Instagram is is a all-time legendary satirical song there's yeah. the Welcome to the Internet song, yeah. which is yeah. extremely weird and compelling. It's like a Kurt Vile song. It was haunting. Some, someone else online, uh, Dan, Daniel Radish, who's a Daily Show writer, said it's like, yeah. um, it's like a Tom Lure 2021 in a way. You know? Yeah. An open window, a novel, a couple holding hands. And that brings us to the end of another episode of the Book and Film Globe Week in Review podcast. This has been Neil Pollock, the Editor-in-Chief of Book and Film Globe, which you can find at www.bookandfilmglobe.com. I hope you keep reading. I hope you keep uh, participating in our amazing culture of fans of fine entertainment, fine content everywhere. And I'd especially like to thank my contributors this week. The site wouldn't exist without you. Well, it might exist without you, but it wouldn't be as good without you. I have so many wonderful writers who work with me, and I'm so grateful to have them all uh, along for the ride, for this magical ride. Favorite photo of her mom The caption says I can't believe it It's been a decade since you've been gone Mama, I miss you I miss sitting with you in the front yard Still We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.
I always value books and films and good TV, but now during a pandemic, I appreciate them, I need them more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. Bookandfilmglobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, actors describing classic scenes, it's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. Audio Hopper.